So that's Financial Peace University. If you want to be a part of that, please make sure you sign up for it and join us for that. It'll be a great time. You'll learn a lot. There's one other thing that I want to tell you about too that is coming up here, and that is next week we're going to have a one service. And we do these a few times a year where we'll just combine for one service. And normally with our one services, what we're doing is we're shutting down our adult groups and our student ministry and our kid connection and everything but the nursery basically, and we're all meeting here in one room. And one of the challenges with that that we hear from families is that a lot of families just will choose not to come on those Sundays because it is such a hassle to try to keep their kids quiet and focused and they're not actually paying attention as the parents because they're constantly trying to keep their kids under wraps and so that's a challenge. But another challenge that we have there, and this is probably a bigger deal to us, is that if you're a first-time family coming on a one-service Sunday, you're coming because you have been told that we have a great Kid Connection program and great things for your kids to do and they're going to love it and they're going to enjoy church. And then when you walk in the door, you're told you get to watch your kids today and good luck paying attention to the message as you're trying to do that. So it's just not a very welcoming environment to our first time guests if they should happen to uh, be unlucky enough to come on a one service Sunday. So we are changing that and we are now going to be offering Kid Connection on our one service Sundays, which means that next week, I thought I heard a clap out there, next week... We are going to have Kid Connection available, but it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to try to, you know, make, turn a bug into a feature, and we're going to have a special edition of Kid Connection called Spy Chase, and so we would actually love for um, this to become a favorite, where families love to come to One Service Sundays and bring their kids because there's a really special program they can be a part of. Now, with that said, we also value families getting to worship together and kids getting to see mom and dad worshiping God and learning from the Bible. That's a really important, valuable thing. How do we do that without those same kids then walking out of the service and as, as soon as the parents ask them, how, what did you think of the service? Their response is, that was boring. I hate big church. I don't want to be a part of that. Because let's face it, what appeals to adults doesn't always appeal to kids in the same way. Well, we are planning some services that we hope to do every single year called Worship Together Services. And these are going to be times for the entire family to come together in the service. There won't be Kid Connection those weeks because the whole service will be designed to be engaging and fun for all ages. Not just the kids, but not just the adults. We want it to be fun for everyone. We're going to do our first one on November 17th, and we'll have more announcements about it as we get closer to that. But I just want you to know we value the family worshiping together. We're going to create spaces for that, but we're going to do it in a way that hopefully if you are a visiting family and you happen to come on one of those Sundays, you leave thrilled that your kids loved and, and enjoyed being a part of big church, not wishing that they had not come. All right, so that's our public service announcement about next week. Wanted to make sure you knew Kid Connection will be available. I've really enjoyed this series, Hello, My Name Is. And we're talking about relationships, and the reason it's called Hello, My Name Is is because that's where a relationship usually starts, right? It's by knowing each other's name. That's why we have these name badges, and it's fun to see how many of you are using those and, and taking advantage of those, so thank you. I hope that you are not just putting it on, but that you're actually getting to know other people. Um, you know, maybe walk up to them and just read their name badge or do it secretly and just say hi and get to know people. Take them out to lunch, whatever it is. Let's all get to know each other together. And if you get the chance, I would really encourage you, if you haven't seen the previous week's messages, to go back and watch those, because these are going to build on each other. The first week we talked about a relationship with God, that's really foundational to everything we're going to talk about in the rest of the series. Last week we talked about our relationships with each other, and how Jesus told us that we're to love each other, not just as we want to be loved. The law said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. 
And so Jesus raises the standard. He raises the bar on what it means to love each other by serving and sacrificing. That was last week. And a lot of those principles from the first two weeks, you're going to see those show up today in the message today. So if you did not get to watch those, I would really encourage you to go back on our website. They're all available there and catch up so that you know what we are talking about. Last week, we did talk about Jesus saying that we are to love each other as he has loved us. And he served us and he sacrificed for us. And he treated us as better than he treated himself. And so that's what he expects of us, is to treat other people as better than you. Let's be honest. That is not always an easy thing to do, is it? I mean, look around you. Look at the people you came with. Are they always, go ahead, look at the people you came with. Are they always easy to love? Honestly, are they always easy to love? No. We have a hard time sometimes loving each other. We have a very difficult time loving other people. And there are lots of different reasons for that, but I really think that a lot of it boils down to one simple thing. One major problem that we all have, that we all struggle with, that makes it so difficult to love each other, and this problem leads to a lot of the other problems. And that problem is that we are all different. We are all so different from each other. When you just stop and think about it, wow, we are different from each other. Most of the time, What that person said that made you so mad wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Most of the time, what they did that you thought was done with the worst of motives wasn't done with as bad of motives as you you thought they were. Most of the time, we react to people because they're coming from a different perspective, a different way of thinking, a different approach to life than we are, and so we react more negatively than we probably should because they are different from us. Our differences make it hard for us to love each other. We have a a, a built-in barrier in our minds that makes it difficult for us to serve and sacrifice and love and treat other people better than us when they are different from us, especially when they think differently than we do. Boy, that's really hard. Uh, If you have strong political views, like really strong political views, and I, I know some of you do, there are other people who have different political views than you out there. And when you see their post online, or when you overhear them make a comment, or when they say something to you that's different than your political views, is your first thought, man, I just love them. I so appreciate their perspective. Not usually, at least not if you read the comments. It's not usually a very uplifting, gracious, loving thing, because when we have differences like that, and think about it, it's it's a different perspective, it's a different opinion. And they might be wrong and you might be right, or there might be some things that you both have wrong and you both have right, but that difference makes it very hard to love each other. The same thing is true of theological differences. Maybe you have some different theological perspectives on some secondary beliefs, and you feel strongly about those, but someone else has a different opinion about those secondary beliefs, and you can kind of have some friction between you, some animosity, because there's a difference. There's no reason not to love each other. There's no reason not to follow what Jesus told us we were supposed to do, and yet the difference makes it hard. Why is that? Well, it's because people tend to gravitate towards sameness. We find comfort and security and stability in being with a group of the same people. And this is true of of skin color. It's true of social status. It's true of beliefs or industry or geography, upbringing, uh, preferences, what accent you have, your political views, of course, your, your religious views. We tend to identify with people and bond with people who are similar to us. That's what we do. If you've ever visited another country where they speak a different language and they they talk differently and they dress differently, and then you ran into someone 
from your home country, or better than that, maybe someone from your home state or even your home city. Have you ever done that and you just feel that instant bond with that person? Like, oh, you're from the same place I am. Wow, you, you talk the same way I do. You dress kind of the same way. You know, we have similar, wow, this is great. We have this similarity. There's this camaraderie that builds immediately. They might be a terrible person, but you instantly trust them. Why? Because you had something in common. There was something similar there. They were in your sameness box and both of you are outside of it. And if that person were to tell you, man, we tried the most amazing restaurant last night. It was incredible. You got to go there. And a couple of local people are like, that was garbage. Don't try that. You're probably going to trust the person that you have something in common with because you just assume, well, you know, they come from the same place, probably have some of the same taste buds that I do. And, and they, they recommended this and I trust them. Why? Because we have something in common. We're, we're similar to each other. That's just the way we work. We like things to be the same. We like some similar stuff. And this is really well-researched. We just like to be in groups of people that are the same as us. It's very difficult to break outside of those. Let's get a little bit more serious about this. If you really stop and think about it, some of the worst, most horrific atrocities in human history were reactions to sameness being threatened. Genocide, racism, discrimination, all of these are rooted in the fear of something that is not the same. When we put it that way, it sounds ridiculous. Like, why would we react that way just to there being a difference? And yet that's exactly what we do. Think about it. Think about how many wars and conflicts have been started because of a reaction to someone's sameness being threatened. It's what we do. The groups that claim enlightenment and and inclusivity sometimes can be really bad about this as well because anyone who's not as enlightened as they are suddenly becomes outside of the sameness box. And now they're the ones that are excluded because you don't have the same level of inclusivity that I have. And so now we're against you. See, no one's immune to this attraction to sameness. Churches um, struggle with this as well. You know, we are just groups of people that come together with preferences and opinions and views, and we're attracted to sameness. Sociologists have long said that the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. It's the most segregated hour in America. And we're not just talking about race or income or social status here. There are thousands of little things that we believe or do that are deal breakers for us when it comes to fellowshipping with and having relationships with other believers other followers of Jesus? Who are we willing to learn from? Who are we willing to talk with and dialogue with and spend time with and serve with and be in a relationship with? So a lot of our churches dwindle down to just the group of people that all can agree on a large slate of issues. And our our statements of, of belief get bigger and bigger and the things that we all have to line up on get bigger and bigger because we want everything to be the same. Diversity of thought different opinions, different beliefs on secondary issues, they're increasingly pushed out as the sameness attraction does its work. And here's what that leads to. It leads to an echo chamber where our opinions are reinforced by other people who share those opinions and we don't actually take the time to explore the legitimate perspectives and views of other people. And then to take it one step further, it leads to a reality distortion field. And here's what I mean by that. If you're not in my sameness box and you don't look at things the way I do, then that means I can't trust you. Now, there may be no good reason for me not to trust you, but you don't think about things the way I think about things. You don't have the same perspective that I have, the same preferences that I have, and so therefore, I immediately distrust you because you believe something or view something or have a perspective or dress differently or whatever it is. We're not the same. And a lot of this happens subconscious. A lot of this happens underneath the surface. 
So why am I sharing all of this? I want you to view this introduction as the backdrop to the story we're about to walk through together. I want you to understand the state that we are in as broken people who are all different and whose differentness causes a tremendous amount of hostility and animosity. And it's into that story, that backstory, that backdrop, that God brings an incredible plan, his plan for the church, a plan that you and I are a part of. And I'm not just talking about salvation or the gospel message. As amazing as those are, those are actually part of a bigger plan that God has been working, a plan that he says was a mystery, a plan that was kept secret for thousands of years and only revealed in the New Testament. There's a bigger picture here if we'll take the time to look at it. So we're going to do that together in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, you can go ahead and do that. And you'll find this all at efree.org slash Bible if you want to just see all the verses laid out for you. There's a link at the top of the page that you can get those. What we're going to do today is kind of a survey of one particular theme in the book of Ephesians. So a lot of times what we like to do is we like to drill down verse by verse and just take a deep dive. And that's always fun. We get a lot out of that. But sometimes when we look at things through a magnifying glass, we miss the big picture. So our next series is going to be a verse-by-verse look at the Beatitudes. It's going to be an in-depth study. But today what I want to do is zoom out a little bit and look at the big picture context of the book of Ephesians because sometimes we will miss some really important themes, some big picture insightful things that God means to communicate to us. Sometimes I think we forget the fact that these letters were typically written to be read in one setting to the churches, not analyzed word for word or verse by verse or sentence by sentence. And so while both are good, Uh, We need to take the time to take a step back and just say, what is Paul doing through this whole letter? And there's a lot of different things here, so we're just going to take one of them, this one theme, and we're going to see how it is woven through the chapters of Ephesians. We're going to start in chapter 3, but we'll go to some other chapters as well as we look at what Paul is talking about here. Chapter 3, verse 3, here's what Paul says. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Okay, so what is it, Paul? What are we talking about here? Here's the plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. This is God's mysterious plan. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Let's pause there and pray and ask God to teach us through his word this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you so much for your word and for what it teaches us. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand what you want to communicate to us this morning. And I think that this is going to impact people in different ways. Maybe some ways that I haven't even been thinking about or praying about. And so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work now. 
for those who are watching this room, for those who are watching online, for those who will watch this later in in a recording on the website, God, I just pray that you would work through your word and the preaching of your word to communicate truth that helps us to grow in our walk with you and our understanding of your plan and how we are a part of it and how you want us to respond to it. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is this mysterious plan? What is the secret that God was keeping from people for so long that was revealed through Paul? It's, it's not that God would save people. That was known. It's not that there would be a Messiah who would come. That was understood. So what is the mystery that's here in this plan? What is so mysterious that Paul wants to explain and reveal to people? Well, if we were to to boil this down to one word, the mystery is both. The mystery is both. It's in both the Jews and the Gentiles. It's in the fact that God is reconciling different types of people who could not be more different from each other. Groups of people who discriminated against each other and persecuted each other. God was bringing together people who were enemies, mortal enemies, into a loving and unified relationship where they would serve and sacrifice for each other. That's the mystery that Paul is talking about here. In the passage that we read, he lists a number of things that Jews and Gentiles now have in common. They both share an inheritance equally. Jews and Gentiles both become God's children. They both become part of one body. Both enjoy promises of God's blessings and both Jews and Gentiles belong to Christ Jesus. This is revolutionary. This is a radical thing. These groups usually hated each other. I mean, think about groups that that hate each other. It's hard to understand. It's hard for us to really fathom the level of animosity that existed, the wall of hostility that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. You almost have to like translate it to some different groups today to figure out, okay, how how do you even fathom the fact that these groups were so apart from each other? It was like over here, you've got Cardinals fans and over here, you've got Cubs fans. That's how much these people, you have to hold them back. They can't stand each other. The Jews and the Gentiles, they... They did not like each other at all. And God's mysterious plan here was to bring these diverse people together into one group of people. And Paul said, I have been given the privilege, the responsibility to explain this plan. This plan was revealed to me and now I get to explain it to you. And all throughout this book to to the Ephesians, Paul is explaining this plan in different ways. He's communicating them to the mystery of what God is doing and bringing these different groups together. He uses a number of different pictures to do that, a number of illustrations. We're just gonna take three of them. Three illustrations, three pictures to show how God is working out this plan and how he views it. The first picture is a masterpiece, a work of art. In Ephesians chapter two, if you wanna turn there, back to Ephesians two, verse 10, here's what Paul says. For we are God's, masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now that word for masterpiece, the Greek word there, is often used to refer to creation. It's a word that literally means a created work of art. It's used outside of the Bible in literature of this time to refer to things like poetry or some other great work of art like a painting or sculpture. It's creating an incredible work of art. And what we know about great works of art is that usually they involve lots of different things coming together in some way to make something beautiful. So a poet, this word is is used of poetry, a poet 
is going to take different words and pull them together to make a beautiful poem. He doesn't use just one word. An artist uses different colors and maybe different brushes or other tools to paint a beautiful painting. He doesn't just use one color. It wouldn't be nearly as beautiful or interesting most of the time if it was just one color. When God created the universe, which is, again, what this word is often used for, when God created the universe, he didn't create the universe with just one type of thing. It's not just lots of different copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. It's lots of different individual, unique, weird stuff that God built into this world. I mean, have you ever seen a platypus? God just made some unusual things that he put into this world. And here's the more amazing thing. He built in even more capacity for diversity into his creation than it originally had. Did you know that? God built into the genetic code the capacity for even greater diversity than you saw initially. Okay, that's how you get different types of, of, um, of dogs that develop over time. It's not that God created one of every single different type of dog. The genetic variability was built in there from the beginning, and so as they started to develop and spread out and move in different areas and be raised in different ways, you get all sorts of different types of dogs. That's why you have Pomeranians and Chihuahuas. You think God made those things from the beginning? No. No, no. Those were, those were carefully bred to be fragile little things. God made big burly dogs, but the, the, the capacity... <laughs> The capacity was there for greater variability. God built incredible diversity into his creation so that it could even become more diverse. Many different parts come together to make one beautiful creation. That's what a masterpiece is. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 11, don't forget that you Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living Apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, that's important, but now, everything has changed, but now, it's all different, but now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now, you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You see, God's design from the very beginning was for very different people to come together. You could not get more different than the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a wall of hostility there, but God brought peace. He created one people from two groups, a masterpiece of diversity. And so we see this in the next verse, verse 20. Together, we are his house. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, were also being made part, being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The second picture that Paul uses is of a house. Now, a house has different parts that come together to make it, it work. Back in Paul's day, the foundation wasn't concrete, it was stones. That's why he talks about the cornerstone. Because the cornerstone had to be perfectly square and positioned in just the right spot because all of the other foundation stones would be laid based on that cornerstone. If your cornerstone wasn't laid correctly, the whole building was going to be off. It determined the position and the placement and the squareness and the trueness of that building. And after you laid your foundation stones, which would often be limestone, on top of that you would put wood and straw and stucco and all sorts of other materials that would go in there to make that house a home. Today, we would add things like wiring and plumbing and other stuff like that to make our house. Now, can you imagine if you were to try to build a house out of just one of those materials? Like the whole house was just one material. You get to pick one. Maybe it's straw. Maybe it's wood. Maybe it's, it's stone, whatever it is. But you get just one material for the whole house. It would not be a very comfortable place to live. I saw an entire house built out of Legos one time. And you know, when I walked through uh, one of the rooms of our house this week and I stepped on a creation of Legos, it did not feel very good. I can't imagine a whole house of those little things all over the place and the furniture's made out of Legos, everything's all How would you like to sleep on a bed made of Legos? Does that just sound like torture to you? One house made of one material is not going to be a very comfortable house. It's not gonna be a great place to live. It's a cool novelty, but it's not something we would actually want to live in. And so when you're building a house, you have to use lots of different materials. And and Paul says that we are coming together as different people, like different building materials, all being made a part of God's dwelling together, this one dwelling that he is putting together for all of us. So I wonder how many of you have ever felt like you're just different than everybody else. Like maybe you see a lot of similarities in other people and you like a lot of the things you see in other people, but you, you just feel so different and so unique. And maybe you wish you weren't that way. And maybe you've prayed and asked God, can you just make me more like that person? And I like that person's spiritual gifts and I like what that person gets to do in service and they just seem like they have their life all put together spiritually and their family is great and everything is great. Why can't I just be like them? Why do I have to be so different like this? I have good news and I have bad news for you. The bad news is you're not wrong you are different. You are unique. And the good news is that's exactly the way God wants you. God wants you to be different. He designed it that way from the beginning. He loves your differences. It's what makes his masterpiece so beautiful. It's what makes his dwelling just the way he likes it. God wants you to be different. Just like a poem needs different words to make it beautiful and a painting needs different colors to make it beautiful, the church needs different people. A diverse group of people with different perspectives and thoughts and ideas and and backgrounds and walks of life and preferences and all of these things come together to make an absolutely beautiful church the way that God wants it in his family. See, God's mysterious plan was to bring together groups of people that ordinarily would not get along Ordinarily, you would not see them together in the same room, and yet here they are. You know, back in the early church, you had people that came from the highest status to the lowest slave who were joining together and sitting side by side and eating food together. That's a big deal. And sharing with one another 
and being honest with each other and loving each other from all these different walks of life. That's the beauty that is the church. That is what God wants to see here. And as if we weren't already different enough with our different perspectives and backgrounds and personalities and all these other things, as if we weren't already different enough. When you trust in Jesus, he actually makes you more different than you were before. He makes you more different from the other people around you than you were before. Did you know that? He does that through something called spiritual gifts. When you trust in Jesus, he gives you a or multiple spiritual gifts that make you more different from other people than you were before. And so now you have certain, certain special abilities towards service that are designed to be used in the body of Christ. And these are different than the other people around you. So God not only takes different people and brings them together in one group, but instead of making them all the same, he actually makes them more different and puts them together to be different together. It's such an interesting thing. We see a glimpse of this in Ephesians chapter four. If you flip over to Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, here's what Paul says. Now, these are the gifts. That's what we're talking about. Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, Paul only mentions the leadership gifts here, but in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, he mentions these other lists of spiritual gifts that God gives to people when they trust in him so that they can use these in the body of Christ. And the leadership gifts that he mentioned here are intended to help train and equip all of the other people to do the work of the ministry. Paul's intention is not that the leaders would do all the work of the ministry, but that every single person in the body of Christ would be actively engaged in doing ministry and the leaders would equip them and help them to do that. So the goal for Paul is for every single person to be actively involved and using their gifts in the body of Christ, which is why we read this. He makes the whole body. This is verse 16, same chapter. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Every part has a work to do, a different work to do, unique work to do, but a different work to do that God gives them to do in the body of Christ. And so this becomes our third picture. The third picture is of a body, and this is one of Paul's favorites. He uses this all over his writings. The best example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about spiritual gifts, and here's what he says. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is, he says, with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. He could have gone on with other differences that these people have, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? It's just like earlier we said, would you build a house out of all one material? No, you, you would want different materials. Would you want your body to be just one part, like just a giant ear sitting out there? No, that would not be a fun body to have. You, li you like the different parts of your body. It's nice to have the different parts of your body. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many different parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. And that is worth an underline there. God has put each part just where he wants it. Maybe not where you want it, 
but just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. God's plan for the church involves diversity, not sameness. This is what he has been working toward. This is what he's been doing from the very beginning to bring a group of people who could not be more different from each other in lots and lots of different ways into one cohesive body. And you may be thinking at this point, yeah, Adam, we get it. You've now covered the same point like three times with three different analogies. Why are we going over this again? This seems awfully redundant. And I would say, I don't know, Paul did. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and I only gave you some of the examples There are are at least two more word pictures in there. You can go find those on your own of him saying again and again, you're different, but you're together. You're different, but you're together. I know that you have differences and I know that those cause friction, but you're supposed to be one. You're supposed to be united. You're supposed to be in harmony with each other, even though you have those differences. And I think this is where maybe some of the insight will come in here that maybe, maybe you've never thought about before, but it's fascinating to me to think about something that is missing from the Bible when it comes to this merger of different peoples. There is something that is, when you, when you see it, you can't unsee it. There's something that is not here that you would think would be here when God is bringing all the different groups of people together. And here's what's missing. Where in the Bible... Do you find any instructions to the Gentile Christians on how to act like, think like, talk like, sing like the Jewish believers? Where in the Bible is there any instruction to the Jewish believers on how to act like, think like, talk like, sing like, dress like, smell like the Gentile believers? There's nothing in there. There is not a word in the Bible on how we are supposed to conform to the image of each other. It's not there. Now, Grace, it's all over it. Being patient with each other, bearing with each other, long-suffering with each other, yeah, that's there. Loving each other better than we treat ourselves with service and sacrifice, yeah, that's there. Loving each other like Jesus loved us, but not a word about removing our differentness. There is nothing in there that says we're supposed to come out of here like we walked into a factory that turned us out with the same clothes and the same accent and the same way of thinking, the same way of talking about things and the same perspectives and the same preferences. There's nothing in there that says that. In fact, if anything, there's information, especially in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10, about where Paul is saying, yeah, I know you've got different views on these things, and that's okay, here's how you can still get along. It's not to make us all similar. There are some religions out there that their goal is to make everybody into this sort of cookie-cutter type of person. That is not what God is doing. He's not removing our differentness when we come together in the body of Christ. He likes our differentness. In fact, he makes us more different than we were before. And so God's plan from the very beginning was not for uniformity. His plan was for unity among difference. One author put it this way. The church is not a melting pot. Melting pot is where lots of things get thrown and they all just sort of meld with each other. The church is more like a salad where there are individual unique components that come together and none of them lose their differentness or their distinctness and yet they make something that is whole and that is better than the individual parts. That's what the church is like. Now we may ask at this point, why? Why would you do it this way, God? Why would you want to have such different people come together? It seems like it creates a lot of unnecessary conflict. Like wouldn't it be nice if you just trusted in Jesus and instantly you were just sort of turned into the model Christian that thinks, talks, acts a certain way, you all like to dress the same way, would save a lot of money on clothes, we could just buy in bulk, Everybody just does the same thing. Like, why does God 
actually not just allow, but appreciate and encourage our differences. Why is that? Paul gives us the answer to this question. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Back to where we started. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. What is this plan? Why is he doing this? What's the purpose in all of this? He says, God's purpose in verse 10 in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. He's using the church as a display of his rich variety of wisdom. He's displaying it to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we, the church, are God's restoration demonstration. We are what he is using to show the incredible, rich variety of his wisdom. What does that mean? Sometimes that word is translated in manifold Manifold, manifold, it means diverse or many-sided. God's wisdom is diverse. It is many-sided. There's, there's a lot of aspects to God's wisdom. A lot of aspects to God's wisdom that are very difficult to understand, even if you're an angel or a demon or whatever you are. It's very difficult to understand God's wisdom. And anybody else looking at all of us from all of our different walks of life and backgrounds and everything that separates us and should make us have animosity toward each other, and you say, you're going to pull all those people together into one group and they're going to love each other? How is that going to work? How is that even possible? And God's like, watch this. Watch me. Let me show you my wisdom in bringing together all of these different people, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, all these different types of people coming together as one. And if they will do what I say, and if they will follow me, and if they will pursue me, and if they will love me, and if they will prioritize the relationship with me, then all of the differences that might make them against each other outside of my body will actually come together to make something more beautiful than you could possibly imagine. Watch this. God's wisdom on display through the church. That's what you and I are. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus and part of his body, are a part of God's cosmic plan, a mystery. Paul said it was eternal, a mystery kept secret for thousands of years to demonstrate his diverse wisdom. What was he doing? He was showing that he can take people who are completely different from each other and might be totally against each other outside of here and bring them together into one unified group. This is important. Without losing their differentness. That's what God was doing. He didn't have to make us all like each other, just like each other. He didn't have to make us all cookie-cutter versions of Christians. The beauty in this is that he kept our differentness and even made us more different when we were brought into the body of Christ. How amazing is that? We're supposed to be different. He loves our differences. So what does this mean for you and me today? What do we walk away with? Well, hopefully just a greater understanding of what the church is and why it's so important. Yes, it's about the gospel and salvation, but that's actually a part of a bigger plan that God has been working on for a very long time to demonstrate his wisdom and ability to bring these people together. But what does it mean for you individually? What do you take away from here? Well, maybe you're someone that has really struggled with your differentness. Maybe you're someone that has wrestled with the fact that you're not like other people. And that could be a physical thing, could be a mental thing, a personality thing, a gifting thing, whatever it is. You're just different from other people. And maybe you've even asked God, could you take that away? Or could you make me like someone else? 
I think here is something that you could take away from today, understanding that God loves our differences, and that is to embrace your God-given differentness as much as God does. Whatever it is that makes you different, God made you that way. He wants you to be different. We're not talking about sin issues here. We're not talking about theological errors here. We're talking about all the other types of things that are, tend to be more superficial, that would cause us to be different and that sometimes make us feel isolated and alone and separated and understand that God has purpose and plan for you in that and actually wants you to be different than everyone else. Now, maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines in the body of Christ, not involved, not serving, not doing anything because you're not sure where you fit in. You're not like the people that serve over here and you're not like the people that serve over here. So maybe I'm not just, just not gonna serve anywhere. And my challenge to you would be to find your God-given purpose and service because everyone has one. The Apostle Paul said that the church is like a body. It's like the human body that has many parts. Now here's the thing. Church experts say that oftentimes 80% of the people in churches do almost no ministry and 20% of the people do almost all the ministry. And that's sort of a rough estimate. It's not true of every church, but in some churches that's the case. So if you think about that, for churches where that's true, if the body of Christ analogy is used there, then it's like those parts of the body that aren't doing anything but have a function that God gave them, those are like paralyzed body parts. And so if you have a church where 80% of the people aren't actually contributing in any way to the health of the body, it's like those parts are paralyzed. It's like that's a quadriplegic. It's like most of the body of Christ in that local instance is paralyzed because people aren't doing what God created them to do. And there are all sorts of reasons for that, but the bottom line truth is God has purpose for you in service. Wherever that is in his body, he has purpose for you to serve in some capacity. So find it. Don't stop till you find it. Just because you haven't found the place where you fit in doesn't mean you don't have a place where you fit in. It just means you haven't found it yet because the Bible says he has a place for you. He has a role for you. He has gifted you for it. The last thing, maybe you struggle with the differentness that you see in others. And maybe it really annoys you. Maybe you see different things. Other people, they prefer this type of thing or they dress that way or they like this thing or they have this view or this perspective or whatever it is and it just frustrates you. And here's my challenge to you. I want you to learn to love the differentness that God has designed into his church. Don't get annoyed at them. Don't get frustrated with them. In fact, thank God for them. Even when you don't understand them, which I know is a lot when you don't understand how God could have these people that think this way and these people that think this way and these people that dress this way or like this music or do this kind of thing or have this approach to life or whatever it is, that's not to say that it's all equally the best way to do things. We're not saying that this is relativism. But we are saying there's an incredible amount of diversity that God has brought into his church. And instead of repelling against that, we should embrace that just as much as God does. We should love the fact that he made us different. And we should thank God for the fact that people from all sorts of different walks of life and backgrounds and views on things feel welcome in this body of Christ. We should never lose that welcomeness for people who maybe are different in some ways, but love Jesus and agree with the, the, the beliefs that we have in the statement of faith. And yet they're different in other ways. And instead of getting annoyed with that, we should be thankful and praise God. I don't get it, but thank God they're here. I praise God for it. Learn to love the differentness that God has designed into his church. After all, God does. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the diversity, the great diversity that you have built into your church. God, it's incredible. And I don't understand it all the time. There are times where I 
make the attempt to conform people into my image instead of yours. There are times where I just wish they would think the way that I thought or approach things the way that I do, the way I, what I think is common sense. And yet you have brought such diverse people into your body of Christ. And you haven't called us to conform them into our image. You've called us to, conform, to help them conform into yours, to point them to you, to lead them to you. So help us, Lord, to appreciate how you've made each one of us different, how you've brought us in for different functions to, to participate in your body of Christ, and then help us to appreciate and love the differentness that you have built into your church, to embrace that, to see it as a strength, not a weakness, to see that as your way of showing your incredible wisdom by all of these people who are so different from each other, loving each other and being united together and working together in the body of Christ. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.